Just two good old boys Two good old boys Never meeting no harm Before we never saw the had no hair Since the day they was born Straighten the curves Straighten the curves Flatten the heels The coffee might get them But the Lord never will We're casting away bus that we've known to come and love. It's a place we now know as home, the Mojo Radio Show. If you are new, welcome aboard. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. If you are regular, you'll know that it's always an interesting and sometimes a bumpy ride. (laughs) But thank you for hanging in with us. Uh, Is AP in the house today? He is around somewhere. I saw him. He was uh, loading up his coffee cup in the kitchen a little while ago. (laughs) Bourbon. Uh, and that voice behind the wheel, uh, sitting atop his new leopard skin seat covers and his brand new sheepskin. St- remember the sheepskin steering wheels? What do you mean, remember? Do you remember those? I've got a sheepskin mouse cover. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, before we uh, before we start the show, get this, mate. Oh, this is true. Mm. I was in an earthquake this week. Really? No kidding. So. Here's the setup, folks. This is true as I sit here today. Uh, I had done a day's work out in the paddock, so I'd done a day on the land, mm. and it was exactly 5.38. You can check it out online. I had my first doseki in my hand, mm. uh, in my stubby cooler, and there was this giant rumble, and it sounded like, if, the only way I can describe it is imagine the biggest gas cylinder underneath your home exploded. Wow. And my wife, who's also drinking a dosaki, hello but our friends at Dosaki, uh, looked at me and said, what was that? And it was this odd moment where, I kid you not, in just a matter of two seconds, you audit all the things in your home that could have exploded. But this came from underneath the home, like it was in the ground. Mm. And we both went, what was that? Then my daughter came outside and said, what happened? And Basically, it only took a second of it, but the house rattled. So I then went and did a trip around all the neighbouring houses looking for fire, smoke, debris, and there was nothing. So we just put it down to, I wonder what that was. And next day, it was recorded uh, that we had an earthquake in our district and the centre of it was only about three, four kilometres from us. It only rated two on the Richter scale. But uh, how about that, eh? That's pretty cool. I I can guarantee you one thing, though. You didn't spill your beer. 
I didn't put it down. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the thing for me is imagine, and I can't imagine actually, I can't imagine what it would be like for our friends in Christchurch. We do have a lot of uh, mm. friends and listeners in New Zealand. To be in a place like that or in Tibet where you get these big earthquakes that have devastated a city and taken lives, I cannot even imagine what it was like. But my take was that you just never know what's going, what life's going to throw at you. It, who would have thought earthquake in the middle of New South Wales in the country? And it just makes you wonder, well, what else could go on? Because the weather patterns are probably, let's say, unpredictable right now. <laughs> More than unpredictable. You, bet you yes. just can't take anything for, for granted. So there you go. Absolutely. Yeah, nice. Well, there you go. Your first earthquake. How's the, um, how's the hide going, by the way? The hide's good. And after I did the intro for the show, what occurred to me just now is that I could make you mm. a belted Galloway steering wheel cover for your, um, for your steering wheel, the big red bus. Nice. That'd be awesome. Because <laughs> I'll probably use most of the hide to make some seat covers for the Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> you know what would be really cool is, is, a, is a cowhide mouse cover. Done. I can sort that. Awesome. The Mojo Radio Show. Simmer down, you noisy, screaming thing. So let's get on with the show. Stan, the man peak, as we know him here at the Mojo Radio Show. He was a guest on episode 164. Let me tell you, folks, if you're new to the show and you haven't been through our back catalogue, I would go back and check out episode 164, Stan Peak. He talked about leadership and where leadership is today and where it's going, and he was fantastic. It was loaded, loaded with gold. And once Stan had finished the show, he was very appreciative of us having him as a guest, and he said, can I introduce you to some people who I think would make great guests? So we went, we're all in. So true to Stan's promise, he did, and Catherine Branley is the founder president and CEO of Prominent Personnel. Now, this is a Calgary-based search firm that specialises in professional placement. And what Catherine has become recognised for is networking. This is a skill I think we all have to have, right, in, in business or community service, our social lives. And not just for success in business, but what I have thought about since we got put in touch with Catherine is that networking and social communication is also part of a fulfilling life. And in fact, it's been said in a book like Dan Butner's Blue Zones. Now, Blue Zones are the areas of the world where the most centurions live. So people who live to be over 100. And there are certain zones of the world where there are more of these centurions. They're called blue zones. And it's said that in those blue zones, one of the most prominent traits are people who have strong social circles. And we covered that in episode 159. Remember that, mate, with uh, Dr. Sherad Paul? I do. Wow. That that feels like a long time ago, but it actually wasn't really, was it? No, it was only a few months ago. He was truly an amazing guest. And yeah. I spoke to him about the Blue Zone, so episode 159. So if you want to go back and listen to Stan the Man Peak or Dr. Sharon Paul, I will put links to it in the show notes so you can get to it real quick-like. Anyway, 
What does all that mean for today's guest? I think networking is important, not just for us in business, but us as humans, as species. So uh, we're delighted to have Catherine on the line with us. Catherine, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thanks for having me. When, when people approach you and ask you what you do, how do you like to reply? For the longest time, I would say I was a connector of people and organizations that I believe in. And since working with Stan Peak, I now say that I am a servant supporting the obsession of the world's greatest change agents by removing barriers and opening doors. Wow. Stan That's, is the man. Yeah, right? Stan is the man. Yeah, yeah. We had Stan is the man. Now let's <laughs> let's there's there's a whole bunch to work through here on this interview with you. In the last couple of years, what's the biggest change you've seen in recruitment, Catherine? Mm-hmm. The last couple of years in particular, and I'm I'm think this seems to be a general global uh, situation in many cases, although I speak to Israel regularly and they do not, this is not happening in their backyard. What I'll say is the ones that we know, North America, um, some areas in the UK, some different places that we've worked and placed people, we've noticed that the criteria in which our clients can demand are exactly that. The demands are great and Fortunately for our client, the companies or organizations that are hiring, they are able to ask for a a big list on that criteria list and try their very best to hit it. And 99% of the time they do because there's so many candidates that are really, really good that are out of work. It's interesting. It kind of leads me to the next bit that I've seen you write about and talk about. Maybe these two things sit together. But I'm curious, you talk about people having their dream job. What percentage of people do you think have their dream job? And is it a case that because they don't have their dream job, they're looking around for the next thing, which means there are so many people looking? Is that kind of, do they sit together? Absolutely sits together. In fact, I would say that the majority of the people that I've met with over the last 20 years in this role, maybe 10% are doing their dream job. 90%, Ninety percent. Um, I think there there's many categories. I think one that's top of mind is uh, my parents said that I should be an engineer, so therefore I am. Um, I thought that I needed to provide for my family and extended family, so I I got the training to be able to be the best lawyer that that there is. And I've been a lawyer for ten years, and I hate every day of it. <laughs> so lots of those conversations happen, and and I think people. Uh, generally, a younger age, fall into something that uh, they're probably good at. And and unfortunately, because of the situation, they then have realized uh, not having job shadowed or any of those things prior to education. And they get out into the real world and realize that's not what they signed up for. There's a lot of those stories. Do you think the dream job is achievable for all of us? I do. I believe that there is a purpose inside of each and every one of us, and no matter what it is that we believe in that is bigger than us, our God, the universe, whatever that is for each human, when we know that there is something that we're called to do, it will eat at us each and every day. And there's times where we will get uh, in the uh, the chaos of, of everyday living and the moment we pause, it's right back there in front of us. And in many cases, 
lots of the, the dreams that, that are lost after many years are found again uh, through crises, um, someone close to them who's passing away, um, maybe they're, they're being let go for the first time after 25 years and what they thought was going to be the rest of their life. Um, so these, these pivotal moments later in life where we think, wow, and, and someone like myself or Stan or others, there's great, um, there, there's great leaders out there that are excellent at asking the right questions to bring out that answer, uh, that dream all over again. And when you see it on their face and you know that you've hit or they've hit, maybe you've asked the right question and they've hit that place in their heart that they forgot, it is emotional. I've seen people cry literally for, for sobbing moments thinking, and I, I, you know, it's, it's way above me, way past me. I have no, it, all I was was facilitating that answer. And then it's my job and whoever helped them get theirs job to get them introduced to the right people to help them get there. And, and that's, that's all we have to do is just be ready to make sure that they don't lose it for the rest of their life, get them in front of the right ones to help them. I'm going to segue into something you just said about the right questions. Now, I was reading a research document by a psychologist prior to us getting online, and here's, here's what they said. I want to read it to you and then get your thoughts on it. They said, 16 rigorous studies of thousands of people at work have shown that people's co-workers are better than they are at recognising how their own personality will affect their job performance. So the story was that if I really wanted to get a handle on my personality and my strengths, I'd be much better asking my co-workers, I'd be much better at asking my co-workers to rate me on certain traits because according to this study, your co-workers are more than twice as accurate of knowing your strengths, your personality, and why potentially somebody should employ you. I wonder whether when we talk about landing your dream job or knowing really what are the attributes that you, you do as a net, that that should bring you true joy. Do you find sometimes that we don't know that, but others around us do, but we don't have someone like Stan Peake to draw out those answers for us, Catherine? Absolutely. And, and I think the the question that we will ask when they're stuck is exactly what you just said and I, I that's on point perfectly is is we say exactly this what would your reference from that organization say would have been your greatest strength and or the thing that made you so different from the rest of your colleagues that you stood out so that helps them start going down the path of gee, I, I actually think that John would say this about me. And huh, and then it gets them outside of their own self. I think that that we generally, I'm not, I won't say everyone, um, are just so busy doing. We're not taking a moment to look at what we, where we shine or where we're best at or where typically where we're best at is where we're most passionate and not realizing that, well, in many cases, lots of people will say, oh, he'd probably say that I'm really good at this, but everybody can do that, which is just not true. What is What we are meant to do and where we're really good 
that's actually part of our purpose. There's something in that, whether it's that role or not, that we need to extract that information and, and get really purposeful and aligned with whatever is meant to be for the, that next step, that, that conversation. Why do we write that off though? It's very interesting, isn't it? Because quite often people, there's two things. I suspect quite often we don't ask the question and we don't find someone like a Stan who can ask those, those pointed questions to draw out our true passions, what brings us true joy, our true strengths. Or we have somebody around us who offers it to us, but we write it off and we, we disregard it and play it down. <laughs> Why do we do that? Are we just not aware that that could be a potent tool for help us find our dream job, our dream life? Yeah, interesting. There's a lot of books about this that, that will refer. In fact, uh, the good old Bible actually talks about this, about finding that thing that you can do that feels like breathing. Um, and in, in fact, there was. I'm just going to segue for one moment back when I was at the beginning of prominent personnel, the first five to eight years, I was, I'm very ADD, so I was starting to get quite bored. And I remember reading some books and, and, and the Bible on this particular part where it, it refers to your role is the one that feels like it's like breathing. And to everyone else, it's not as easy as it looks. So to answer your question, I think I think we all get in the majority, again, not all, many of us will get into this this doing part rather than being part. So we're so busy reacting that we're not taking those moments to be quiet and wait and listen. And that I think that's when the answers come, is in the quiet or in quiet with someone like a Stan Peak that will ask lots of deep questions. People love talking about themselves. And when, when we get really clear about the questions to ask our friends or loved ones or colleagues uh, in that quiet moment together, to ask them, ask them, do you love, what is it you love? Or I've noticed that you're really good at this. You must love doing it. Of course, assuming that they love doing it, they may not. Um, but in most cases, it's aligned with exactly what they're meant to do. It's funny Something you talk about is the difference between listening and really hearing. And I wonder if this doesn't sit in nicely with what we're talking about. Is it quite often people say these things and we're listening to them, but we're really not hearing what they're saying. Can you just talk about how you use clarifying questions? Because I've heard you talk about it in your recruitment process. And perhaps it's something that we could use in this because rather than dismiss a comment someone makes, perhaps we're not truly hearing properly what the, and, and then saying, well, how would that apply? How do you use mm. clarifying questions? Thank you. Um, so I refer to the questions as active listening or deeper listening. Active listening meaning I hear you, I'm going to respond, and I'm also thinking of the agenda that we need to cover and the next question we need to hit. I believe that deeper listening requires staying present and not worry about the agenda or the next question, just following that along. Actually, just like what you're doing, you're doing a very good job of it, where you're you're leading me along and yet um, still staying in your active 
deep listening that keeps us there so that the the conversation will go as deep as it needs to. The book Good to Great refers to the questions, the five whys, about how to go deeper with every why question. Why do you think that way? Oh, where does that come from? I'd love to learn more. Do you mind explaining that a little bit more? Um, very interesting. Why do you think that way? And then back to why. So, And then as you go deeper and deeper, you could have a conversation about one topic that takes you down a path to get to a point where whoever it is you're in front of, now you're talking about something that is deeply aligned with their soul and what it is that they're meant to do. There's something underlying in all of that when you go that deep, just by staying present and going deeper and deeper and deeper. Just trust yourself that the questions are coming and just it's all about that intense curiosity so that it's completely revealed as as every answer uh, comes forth. It's Canadian gold, Robert. It's maple gold. (laughs) Maple gold. It's maple. It's maple. <laughs> ah, maple gold. We're, on, we're, hey, we're completely aligned on maple gold. Oh, yeah, that was good. <laughs> now, with, with recruitment, something I'm curious about, is the resume dead? Is it still alive? Is, is there still a need for one? Yes, certainly. Uh, for many reasons. Um, there's still a lot of old school thinking that requires it. There's organizations that, in fact, are still using applicant tracking systems, ATS, uh, that will... Um, choose certain words that they're looking for and will pull out out of the thousand resumes that they receive for that application. It'll at least filter those few that they need to bring to the forefront. Unfortunately, I'm I'm not a believer in, in applicant tracking systems. I think that we're losing the opportunity to to find the right cultural fit for our organization. And just because someone doesn't have the the exact right words, um, it certainly doesn't mean that they're not a, a cultural fit that wouldn't fit. And in fact, the Google book, I forget what it's called, but one of the co-founders talks about how they built their team in the beginning. And, and he too also agreed that it wasn't, um, wasn't a system that, and would afford, unfortunately, we would lose really good candidates in the process. So yes, it's still alive and well. Um, I think where we're going to start seeing a shift is uh, there's going to be less of the full resume that might be a follow-up to a conversation that might be had or a follow-up to an application. I think things are going to move more to uh, video resumes or whatever they're going to call it, but there's more of that happening. Video interviews. Um, there's still sizzle sheets, we call them, where it's a one-pager, like an executive profile or one-pager of, of someone's history that is... Uh, includes maybe a couple of applicable references for the role that they're interested in. And then some of the highlights of their history and experience education that would be applicable to that role. So just like a one pager and then a, an attached uh, video link, um, maybe mentioning a little bit more about why they think that they would be a fit for that uh, particular role. You know, here we don't have a sizzle sheet. We have a sizzler sheet, which is a restaurant, <laughs> and it's pretty much a list of what we'd like with the perfect buffet. Yeah, so the perfect much, buffet yeah. would have the following. It's a sizzler sheet. Including a good supply of bacteria <laughs> and God knows what else, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hey, I'd like to throw one by you just while we're on, while we're on resumes. About seven or eight years ago, there was a job advertised that I looked at and I thought, my God, I would really love to do that. 
Um, it was an audio engineering job, me being an audio engineer for the last 30 years. Uh, no names, no pack drills, but I responded to the advertisement, ticked all the boxes, had all the required experience and sent off my resume. And about two days later, received a polite email saying, thanks so much for your application, but unfortunately you're overqualified. And I've never found anybody who could quantify what overqualified meant. Um, Well, there's many different stories depending on the situation. I can give a a couple of reasons. Um, They may have a budget. They are not willing to pay what you deserve. That could be one. Um, Two, it could be, in fact, they actually posted the role, already had someone in mind, but it was uh, the rules of engagement by the policy of the organization that they had to post it and they've given it to someone else. Uh, Number three, in fact, it could be um, that you may be overqualified and and more skills and experience and education than the one that you would be reporting to and it would rock the boat. So those those three things could be happening. Where... um, when there's those kind of postings that um, that people are interested in, we recommend not applying and, in fact, instead find the people in the organization that you need to have a coffee with and learn more about the organization to first interview them to confirm if, in fact, the culture is even a fit for you and whether it's even worth going down the road any further. Um, because in many cases, they may have posted uh, a position like that that is more junior and yet once they meet you and you've got a few friends in the organization they know that you're not just about just the money for the role you're in fact looking for the right cultural fit so you can only convince them the organization through having friends in the organization that can vouch for you and say that yeah through by by application Unfortunately, you fall into the other three categories. So so having not applied for a job in like 13 years since I've been self-employed, except for that one, overqualified is obviously a, a, a kind of regular occurrence by the sounds of what you're describing then. It certainly is. And, and, and the fact that you're an entrepreneur as well, um, that sometimes I know when I was, like, as I mentioned, when I was ADD, or I am ADD and um, prominent wasn't um, exactly where I wanted to be anymore. Um, I also was applying for roles, um, just, you know, technical sales or things that I had uh, performed in the past. And they also said the same thing to me. And fast forward, you know, however many years and asking that real question about, okay, what that, what was that really about? And they thought that I'd be rogue. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? They're right. They, They're probably I, right. I'm not yeah. employable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, hearing you say that, probably the same, I'm sure Gary would agree the same probably applies to me, right? <laughs> Catherine, you're, you're known as a, as a great networker. No, he's ignoring it. <laughs> Tell me, and you talk about successful networking. What's successful networking? And then is there such a thing as unsuccessful networking? Oh, yes. And yes. <laughs> um, so I believe that successful networking is uh, building relationships that stick. People that want to be closer to you, that want uh, to earn or be connected in some way, That I believe that that is the goal to networking. When I go to an event anymore, you know, old school, my first book, um, I made the the error, I think the immature error of get as many cards as you possibly can and then get out of there. 
So I'd stay there for two hours, get as many as I could, and then follow up. And and unfortunately, without with only a, a brief touch point, the uh, relationships did not stick. Now, instead, I trust my higher power. I walk into an event, and I will speak to one, two, maybe three people, and I go as deep as I possibly can with them to create a new friend because I feel connected to them, and we found uh, ways to to feel connected, and we want to stay that way, and I feel confident leaving that I have three new friends. I think that is successful networking. I, I think unsuccessful is what I said in my first book, and that is just a numbers game. Get as many people as you can, and, and I just don't think it's as effective. I don't think it's as authentic, although I was trying to be authentic. I certainly had interest in all of them. I just had the belief, incorrect belief, that more was better, and that's not always the case. I, I saw an interview with you, which is on YouTube, and you're at a big conference, and you talked about that approach. And you'd say, and the guy said, ah, oh, so when you get home, you start writing notes about who you met. You said, no, what do you mean before? Maybe even when I got to the car or I just extract myself from the conversation and write a few notes. What I'm curious about is how do you, how do you use your database? How do you record notes? And this, it's a two parts of this. Number one is how do you record it? What do you use for your database? Do you have like a, an Evernote or have you built your own spreadsheet or is there some app you use for it? And number two, I've heard that you've got 75,000 on your database and you are famous for the size of your database as a connector. How do you keep it updated? You put this information in. How does that information get used? And number two, how do you keep it fresh? Yeah, good question. Thank God for LinkedIn. Praise the Lord. (laughs) So before LinkedIn, we had everything on a, a Unix and Linux server and that was 75,000 connections in the time from, well, my sales career. I had 3,000 when I started Prominent Personnel in 1998. And by the time we exited Prominent four years ago, there were 75,000. They were all on the server, which required obvious uh, maintenance. We had a, an admin team. They would keep track of every bulletin, every announcement. We would constantly be updating it all. And then LinkedIn came on the scene. Uh, end of 2007, 2008, it was on fire. And we, I started using that from a recruiting perspective and started connecting with as many people as I could see. And of course, that awesome algorithm will allow it, allow people to continue seeing, oh, she's online. I'm going to connect with her because we know each other. And it became its own live animal. It was awesome. I absolutely loved it. And that is, in fact, is still how I network still today is, or sorry, um, headhunt still today. I rarely go back into that old database because anybody who wants to stay connected to me and knows I'm still a headhunter connects with me on LinkedIn. And fortunately, they update the profile on the, all on their own. I don't have to do anything from a search perspective. And then from a tracking perspective, every one of our clients, um, we always track exactly who we meet with for them, uh, what was said, all the different pieces of, of that file. And that can be pulled from our client at any point. So we've named them in Excel spreadsheets 
from from per client perspective. And then we we've got a a CRM that that um, Stan is promoting just recently uh, called HubSpot, and that's something that. Uh, one of my clients has been using, and I've been helping them get it set up. And that's something that we're going to be moving towards. Uh, because what I love in that that piece is that when it comes to just CBI's business, it tracks every conversation, every email, which is so extremely beneficial in what we do. So that is something from our own business perspective we'll be using. Uh, your LinkedIn profile has something very, very interesting written on top of it. You said... And under your name, it says connecting people globally, headhunter, bird dog, <laughs> unicorn wrangler, bridge builder. <laughs> what's a unicorn? Wrang- my, what's a unicorn wrangler? <laughs> my my <laughs> clients uh, gave me all those nicknames, and my my team thought that it would be good to to put up there. <laughs> um, it, it's it's really just nicknames for what I do for them or what my what their experience has, has been with our service. Um, the unicorn wrangler was um, with was with our one of our favorite clients who had been looking for for a candidate or a partner for their firm uh, for six months through another search firm and. Uh, fortunately, we we just started networking and using LinkedIn and contacting all the different people that would potentially fit that profile. And it was truly by luck, in my my opinion, that we connected with this fellow who became a partner in our. And their words was were that they couldn't believe. Uh, connecting with him, that he was right under their nose, and that's when they called me the unicorn wrangler. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned earlier, Catherine, about before you walk into the room, you've changed your approach now. Instead of just collecting cards, you have a different approach. Does networking does networking actually start before you get into the room? And how should a great and successful networker walk into a room? Yes, it has changed a lot. Um, before I, I go into a room, before I go into a meeting, before I get, before I got on this call with you, um, I set the intention on, and my, what I think is my preferred outcome or outcomes. And if there's someone with me, we say it out loud. We actually discuss what it is that we each as either as individuals or as a, a collective agree to what we want for preferred outcomes. And I believe in the law of attraction. I believe that when we say these things out loud, or even uh, if we're not able to say it out loud, we start drawing in what is meant for us. Um, and it, it works. It's um, over the many years of now practicing in this way, uh, the people that, that either believe where I am and, and they're doing it too, or they they decide to have a leap of faith with me and they start practicing and they also start to believe because it ha- it works over and over and over again. It works. So if I have the right intention, I present myself in a room, you and your team have worked on the, 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 the idea of people having a 30 second pitch what are the components that make up a great 30-second pitch? 30-second pitch is actually even um, in the last six months has changed. We believe that it, 
has to be even shorter than that, 10 to 15 seconds, and and leave them wanting more. And that's actually because, again, of Stan Peak. I'm sorry, I'm, I constantly go back to him because he's constantly improving our processes and improving the way we do things. So um, he helped us go, okay, well, 30 seconds, really. I mean, that that could still be a very long pitch when you're meeting someone new. Oh, what do you do? And you go on for 30 seconds. They're thinking milk, egg, bread, I mean, anything else except for that 30 seconds. It's a long time. We need sound bites. So where Stan has spun that for us is uh, he said, okay, let's let's take the, the breakdown of what you had for the 30-second pitch and then make it catchy and and leave them wanting more. The the idea of after the 10 or 15 seconds that you want, what the intention that you want is that, or the outcome, sorry, is that they will say, oh, how do you do that? That is the question that you want. So the three pieces are who you are, what you do, and what you want, all wrapped up in, in a very short pitch, uh, very similar to the pitch that I um, was asked to share with you earlier. Um, inside of 15 seconds, I was able to say that. And then people go, oh, wow, how do you do that? And that's what you want. So run that for me again for people who may have their journals out or want to write this down. So the first part is who you are, what you do. Who you are. And then what you want. Is that right? Yes. And, and all of those can go a little deeper. So what you do could be, I'm extremely passionate about connecting world leaders around the world, whatever. Right. So whatever that is, whatever that doing is, uh, can go as as very cool as you wanted to or as deep as you wanted to, um, rather than something like, um, yeah, I'm a headhunter, you know. So, OK, well, okay. it doesn't leave them wanting more. It doesn't leave them asking me uh, further questions on how do you do that? That's the whole key. And is what you want about your, it sounded like it was sort of part of your purpose or your mission. Is that the, what you want part is centered around your mission? Yeah. Every person's want is so different uh, depending on where they are in their life. Some are in a place where they need a job. They need a job. They need, need to put food on the table and, and that is their want. So it's possible that they're not able to be completely aligned with, um, their job of their dreams quite yet. So the want may sound different. Now, if it's the job of their dreams, they could say, and I look forward to connecting with uh, organizations that would be interested in where I'm most passionate or something like that, where it's, um, it's, a, a, it's still an ask to whoever you're speaking with, uh, with regard to what it is that you can do. At, at the top of the show, and we've mentioned his name throughout the show, uh, Stan Peake, who was a guest on our show a couple of months ago and was fantastic. We had so much great feedback on Stan's appearance on the show. And you said on a video, which is on YouTube, you said you credit mentorship as being one of the most important assets in your success. And Having now spent a little bit of time with you on the show, I suspect that Stan Peake has been that mentor for you and that may or may not be right. But what I'm interested in, Catherine, is, and this is something I haven't heard discussed before, is how do you use a mentor properly? Because it seems like people, it's a buzz thing to have a mentor. It's a buzz thing to have a coach. But I'm not sure that the person being coached or mentored takes responsibility for that interaction. 
And what I'm curious about is your thoughts to say, okay, if I do buy into Catherine's thought of getting a mentor, how do you get the most out of your mentor? Like what have you got to bring to the table? Because I don't think enough work is done by the person who's paying the money. It's all being left to the person who's doing the mentoring to do the work. How do you, how, what, what's the responsibility for you to bring the best out of your mentor? Very good. Very good question. Mentors come in all ways and they start from birth. It could be a parent, a guardian, a grandmother, grandfather, could be an auntie. People that we look up to and want to be more like would be considered a mentor. And we sometimes grow out of the mentors. Sometimes they're no longer in our life for whatever reason. Um, sometimes our life will just change enough that, um, that that part of your learning is no longer needed from them. So, so you naturally, I think humans naturally will want to gravitate to those that they look up to, to want to learn more from. So I think it's a natural human experience. And when it's not happening, I think people are, are generally more unhappy. Once they start having people around them that they're spending more time with, that they want to be more like, I think it naturally elevates them into another role that, that they deserve to be in. So that, that's the natural mentor. And then there's more structured mentors, I think, which with what you're referring to, where um, perhaps I know here in uh, Alberta, we have what's uh, with APEGA, we have a structured uh, mentorship role where there's someone that is more senior uh, that has agreed to volunteer to support a younger or a newcomer men, um, mentee that either is looking for a job or maybe they need more um, soft skills training, maybe they need some mentoring with regard to management skills, uh, or maybe they just need somebody on the other end of the phone when there's a crisis. All, all those things are possible. That is much more structured. There's, there's measured results. There's documentation. Um, it's, it's really, truly, it's, it's very similar to having uh, a coach that is constantly bringing you back to, okay, these are your steps that you need to do for the following this next week and keeps you accountable. So you've got, you can look over the last year with your mentor and say, well, look how far I've come and, and it's you to thank. So it goes from literally from casual, natural, and not that all of them aren't natural. They really are. Even the structured ones are. Um, and then to answer your question, how to get more is to set the expectations right from the beginning. What kind of mentoring relationship is this? Is this where um, you sought after this mentor because you wanted to be more like them and, and you're asking really a favor? Or is this a situation where you're going to be, it's going to be a paid uh, arrangement? Whatever that is, it's setting the expectations, setting the preferred outcomes, the timelines, and then also understanding what that means when the the time of that relationship needs to change. So in my case, um, when I'm mentoring in a more structured way, although I mentor in an unstructured way as well, uh, when it's structured, we have a monthly check-in. We see how the mentee is doing. Uh, they are responsible for keeping track of their measured results so that we can constantly look back uh, to also plan ahead. What is that? Okay, now that we, we know what your three-year plan is, 
uh, what are you working towards the next month to get there? Show us what that plan looks like. And it's, it's really about, it's just like having, um, uh, a business arrangement or, a, um, building a business. It's having that strategy plan, staying accountable, measuring results and checking in to make sure that you're on track. Yeah, it, it does. And, and something that's interesting from that is you, you've mentioned your mum and dad or parents, uh, a number of times through the interview and other interviews you've done. How, how big an influence were your mum and dad to you to set you up as a business person? And do you, if they were a big part of it, do you remember a lesson that one or both of them taught you growing up as a little girl that you still live by today? My mum and dad are, my dad is now passed. My mum's still alive without both of their mentorship, there's no possible way I'd be alive, let alone have a business. I, I, I did go rogue right after high school, um, well, very soon after high school, and they always had an open door for me and always with, with love whenever I was ready. Um, and they both taught me very important lessons. My mom taught me to never give up and to continue moving the ball. And my dad taught me to go as far as I could see, and then I would see further, to trust in something bigger than me, that to know that I'm on the right path, even though it does not feel that way today, and just keep moving the ball. So yeah, that, but I, it's all because of them that I can do anything that I do. And just to lead from that, Catherine, I know you, in your spare time, which I'm sure you don't have a lot of, but in your spare time, you are actually being a service to your local community. You are the co-chairman of the Rotary Tom Jackson Stay in School Initiative and a member of the Rotary Club of Calgary. And it's been written that one of your greatest passion is to be able to be of service to children. From your experience of being around and serving the kids, raising money, working with others for the betterment of children. What's the most important thing that you think we should say to our children? Mm, To not worry about where they're going to be. Just continue doing the very best that they can on a daily basis. The jobs that are going to be available for them when they are finished their education or whatever uh, training they have are going to be completely different. They're not even available today. The exponential change that is happening is is mind-blowing for all of us. There's no possible way that the majority of jobs that are going to be in the future are even known today. So they they also need to go as far as, as, far as they can see until they see further. And I say that to all the kids that I mentor. It's so important to stay present and just work really hard to get the education that you feel that you need and yet stay still open to all the things that are happening around the world. And they are, they have full access to everything that's happening. And when I need to know what's really going on, I I ask my nieces. They're the ones that are on the front (laughs) line of this. They know where we're at and, and they're going, they're getting equipped now for things that we, the rest of us, the fifties plus me, uh, need to break us. for because <laughs> they, it's, the change is going to be exponential. I've got to say that it's, it's great advice. You, you must be doing, uh, to finish this up here, this is interesting. It's a segue from what you've just said and uh, of being a service to Rotary, which I'm a great believer in Rotary. I think Rotary is a wonderful organization. Being a service to the community, 
helping our future generations and being a service to your clients, you, you must be doing a really great job of it because you have a massive list of testimonials for people who speak about you and of your work. Just to take us out, just going through them, I was interested to know, because it ties back to recruitment, finding your dream job, and also marketing yourself in order to be of purpose, uh, in order to be of service to others. Is there a particular approach that you take and or would take to getting testimonials? Hmm. Most will recommend on their own. Uh, there will, there are times. Um, when, as an example, when I worked for Greg Clark with the Alberta Party, when our days were finished on a, an official basis, although I'm still a huge supporter, I did ask, you know, thank you so much for this amazing note. I'm, I'm going to treasure it forever. Would you be willing to tell the world in your own words what your thoughts were of my, our experience together? And he had no issue. And, and that would be the same with um, a lot of our, a lot of the ones that you see online. Um, when when my work with them was was complete, uh, and they sent me something amazing, I would then reach out and say, "Would you mind?" And and they they said yes, obviously. That's a nice way to frame it, isn't it? Yeah, so great. So I think Robo Catherine is sufficiently warmed up. I think we've we've gotten through the the easy part of the interview. <laughs> uh, I think it would be appropriate for me to throw to you now for the the reason we have Catherine on the show, the big question. You're going to hit it with the big guns. Please. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, uh, so Catherine, you, uh, you're you crawling out of bed on a wintry morning there in Alberta, Canada. Oh. It's nice and a bit chilly. Your feet hit the floor. It's a bit cold. You get downstairs. That first cup of coffee just doesn't do the job. You think, oh, I'll take myself <laughs> off to the shower. That'll get me going. That doesn't do the job either. So you want, what's, what's, what's the song that Catherine goes to to get her mojo pumping to get her into the day? <laughs> making it work takes a little longer. Making it work takes a bit of time. Making it work takes a little longer. Making it work takes a bit of time, darling. There we go. Look at that. <laughs> was, didn't even have to stop and think about that one, did you? Yeah. No, I didn't, no. <laughs> and you can sing too, Gaz. Absolutely. We don't get that very often, that's <laughs> no. for sure. Um, Catherine, this has been absolutely terrific. And I think uh, apart from the fact I think your the information and content advice you've shared is gold, the other thing that I actually really love about the way you present yourself is that you you seem to treasure your words. You don't waste words. You are very articulate. You're very, you seem to put a lot of thought behind each word. And I think it's a, a beautiful skill that you bring, that you're articulate, you're thoughtful, but the stuff you talk about is, uh, is very useful and profound. So thanks for, um, thanks for joining us and bringing a bit of maple gold to the studio. <laughs> Anybody who brings anything maple oh. to the studio is always welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very,
very grateful for the opportunity. And, um, you know, a side note, uh, call me anytime. I love your accent. Just, you know, read any paragraph. It makes zero difference to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what you need to do is subscribe to the show and then you can hear us every week. Oh, I so will. And in fact, I'm, it's all new to me. I've, I've been past capacity, although I did download a few of your uh, shows and I was quite impressed. So I'm just delighted to be here and I'm definitely going to subscribe as well. Oh, Gary, we've got a guest saying they're impressed by the show. <laughs> Look out. Yeah, first, it's the first time five yeah, seasons. I loved it. I love, um, I love your humour. Uh, hey, uh, one quick thing before we go, or two things. Uh, Favourite Canadian beer? Oh, the important questions now. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, um, you know what? I'm not a beer drinker. I'm... <laughs> Uh, I, and I, and this is so bad. I drank Corona when I did drink beer. So, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, I, I, I can't even, you know what though? I will say for Saskatchewan, all my Saskatchewan friends right now listening, Pilsner, baby. Pilsner. There we go. There yeah, we're rocking. Yeah. And Pilsner. Favorite, it's got to be cold. Favorite Canadian sports team. I know I'm curious because, uh, I, I know there's a very big, sports community in Canada and we do have quite a good following in Canada. Favourite sporting team? There's only one sports team and that would be the Calgary Flames. Uh, there we go. <laughs> Bang. <Cha-ching>. <laughs> thank you, Catherine. Gentlemen, thank you for the opportunity. It's been nice chatting with you. Hi, I'm Maria Gronberg. I'm a climber. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro four times and summited Mount Everest this year of May. Oh man, I'm struggling through the Mojo Show. The Mojo Radio Show. Now this is quite odd, but were you paying attention when Catherine mentioned a unicorn? Because you have actually met a unicorn. A real unicorn. Indeed I have. And she's a lovely, lovely lady. In fact, I was talking that to was her on the weekend. That was another great show. In fact, Andrea Burke from the Canadian Women's Rugby Team, that was a cracking show and uh, she's a unicorn. She is a unicorn. She, uh, that's how we met. She, uh, for those of you who don't know the story, I was on, on a, a rugby tour in New Zealand with the kids and uh, we had the, the dads had the night off. We were in the local pub and in walks, <laughs> in walks four or five women in, um, in costume, one of which was a unicorn and having a chat at the bar and lo and behold, she turns out to be a, uh, a world-class rugby player. So there you go. The world is a small place. And she was a fantastic guest on the show, which is in yeah. our back catalogue. Absolutely. Stick that one in the show notes too. That's one for people to have a listen to. True. The Mojo Radio Show. I've spoken with Darren Altclass about the dinner we're having and oh, it's all on. It's all on? Where are we going? Well, we're not really sure where we're going yet. We're going to keep that a secret, but it's a, it's actually our version of a meetup. Uh, we're having it in Sydney. Darren was a guest on the show a couple of weeks back. He's a marketing and brand, he's an award-winning world-class marketing and branding guy, and he's offered to spring dinner for not just you and I, but four listeners, which is fantastic. And we've had stacks of really nice emails. People have written some lovely things into us, including one guy who said, mate, I'll pay my own way there and I'll pay for my own dinner just to be there with, with you guys. <laughs> Hey if, hey, if you're quiet, we might get two dinners out of this. We could get one with Darren and one with him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, it's happening. We will be in touch with the guys we're taking. We will email you back. So thank you for everybody who wanted to come along to our little meetup. We're going to have some Dos Equis and, and a feed with Darren. You get to ask him lots of questions. And we're also going to record some stuff at WeWork in Sydney which we will put to air over the coming months. But uh, that was a good little exercise to do. And I thought 
Do you remember the halcyon days when we were at the House of M's, our Triple M days, how big and massive a worldwide brand MTV was? Oh, huge. Massive. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was groundbreaking, wasn't it? There was nothing else like it. There was nothing else like it. So um, the guy who came up with I Want My MTV is a guy called George Louis. And he did a story on the Fast Company blog. Now, he's an iconic designer and he did many of the great covers for Esquire magazine and stuff like that. And in his in his day, he was a legend. And I just thought to finish off, because we are having this dinner with Darren, it just fitted in nicely. And he was asked on the Fast Company blog this question. What are the biggest challenges facing design and branding right now? And here's his answer. I see young people working on something at their computer and I say, what are you working on? And they'll say, just looking around. And I'll say, there's nothing in the computer. It's a dumb brute. Go to the bathroom, look in the mirror and work with yourself. Come up with a big idea with your own talent. Use your own brains. He said, I try to teach young people to use their own instincts and brains and talents and not get trapped into what cover designers and ad agencies do when they come up with advertising. They do it in big groups. The only thing where you need a big group of people to do something is when you're building an Amish barn. (laughs) He said... Hello to all our Amish listeners out there. I call it group grope. In America and world business, people work in teams. It's nonsense. They get four or five people and they say, solve that problem. That's the way everybody does it. It doesn't work. You have to have individual talent. It's called creativity. People don't think creatively. What you have to understand is advertising and creativity is not science. It's an art. I'm a lone wolf. That's the way I work. I get 30 emails a day from people all over the world and 95% of them thank me for getting them to start thinking with their own brains. Sit in a room and don't come up until you have one great idea that changes the world. So let's blast back in time, mate. A bit of MTV nostalgia. This goes back to George, a bit of work he did. What do you think of this? America, demand your MTV. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. MTV music television. Video music. 24 hours a day. And your cable company and say, I want my MTV. Now, the voice on that was Pete Townsend and Stevie Nicks. There's a couple of legends. Yeah, absolutely. Stevie, wow, that goes back a long way. So, pop quiz, Pete Townsend mm. was in what band? The Who. Correct. Now, here's my Sedgeway. People, when people talk about, you know, people getting stuck on the screen and they're addicted to their screens, they say, oh, the new generation, the kids. But see... I don't think it's a generational thing. I think people go, oh, it's that generation. But you sit on a bus, sit on a train, sit in a coffee shop, look at any business, any corporate environment. It's not a generational thing. It's a people thing. Don't hate the game. It's the player. And I think what George is saying is we should take personal responsibility because it's not a new generation that are doing it. I think it's every generation. It's just people in general 
are hoping and staring at a screen all day long, hoping that good ideas will come from it. And if we could take anything from that story, I think we should sit in a room and don't come out until you have one great idea that changes the world. And when you've got it, write to us on the show and tell us. We'd love to share your idea or to say that you took something great from the show and actually took the gold and did something with it. So I was thinking that with that, and given the fact it's not a generational thing, we should play it with a bit of the who. Yeah, I know where you're going to go. Then go. Talking about my generation, we're out. We won't try to put us to death. Talking about my generation. Just because we get around. Talking about my generation. Things they do look awful. Talking cool. about my generation. I won't die before I get old. Talking about my generation. My generation. Produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. 
For more about Gary, see GaryBurtWhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out VoodooSound.com.au and for the right voice, RealTimeCasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.